Anyway, I'm excited. We're starting a new series called Lord of All. And uh, I had a great title, and it was, Have You Checked Your Cracks Lately? However, my staff didn't think that was a good title. <laughs> so I came up with a new title, and it's, Have You Checked Your Foundation Lately? How many say that's better, right? Amen? Okay, but you're going to find out if there's cracks in the foundation. That's what we're going to talk about. But uh, I remember when we were, we were living in Greeley, Yvonne and I, and we moved down to Denver, and we were looking for a place to, to settle. We looked all over the you know, Denver area, and we ended up on, uh, in uh, Ken Carroll Ranch. We really liked that area, so we decided we'll go live in Ken Carroll Ranch. And I remember we're looking at different houses, and, and I found this house, and I go, man, this house is awesome. I mean, it was a beautiful house, and the price was amazing. It was much lower than you would expect. And, and I said, honey, we need, and we walked, you know, we got into the house, we walked around, you know, it was beautiful. It was open. It was the spacing we like. Anyway, I was really excited. I said, we just need to put a contract in today. I mean, this is amazing. And I called my friend who was a realtor and he said, uh, you know, let me check this out because the price doesn't line up with the house. And uh, so anyway, he takes us downstairs into the basement. And we look, and there are huge cracks in the foundation. Uh, they had a bentonite problem. Uh, for those of you who don't know that, that's a soil problem. And it had caused a shifting in the foundation. And there were amazing cracks in the foundation. He said, you do not want this house. I looked at Yvonne. She goes, we do not want this house. And I go, I do not want this house. <laughs> anyway, we did not get that house. But I want to tell you, it's amazing. Foundations don't show. You know, the house looked incredible, and lots of times our lives can look incredible, but the foundation, if it's, not, if it's built on a foundation that's cracking or crumbling, it can cause severe damage or even collapse. And so I want to talk about that today. We're going we're gonna to check our foundations because I want to tell you, if our foundation is faulty or cracked in any way, it creates a lot of problems. In Proverbs chapter 10, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 25, it says this, it says, when the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away, but the godly have a lasting foundation. I believe that it's so important to understand this. You know, the greatest sermon ever preached was the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus Christ. And right at the end of, of that sermon, at the end of Matthew chapter 7, he says something very, very powerful. He said, for those who hear my words and do them, the emphasis is on the do. Those that do my words, they will be like someone who builds their house on the rock. And when the storms of life come and, and, and come against it, it will stand. But those who hear my words and don't do them will be like the person that built their house in the, on the sand. And when the storms have come, they were washed away. Now, I just want to tell you, folks, it's so, so important that we really, really examine our foundation, that we know that how, how our foundation stands, you know, and, and so I want to talk about two ways a foundation can collapse. There's a lot of ways a foundation can crack and collapse, but one way is when we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. Let me say that again. One way that can cause crack and damage and even collapse to our foundation is when we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. You know, so often, it's easy for us to kind of have these ways of seeing ourselves, even lies that come into our life. And, um, you know, one lie that I lived under for a long time 
was I thought my parents really didn't love me that much. The reason was they were never around. My dad was a traveling salesman. He was gone all the time. My mom ran a toy shop. Uh, and I was basically kind of brought up by babysitters and nannies. And, and so I just had this sense that my parents really didn't love me because they didn't spend time with me. You know, they weren't around. But I realized that actually they loved me incredibly, but they grew up during the Depression, and so their whole focus and worries and fears were about finances and money. And so it wasn't that they didn't love me, it's just that they were preoccupied with their jobs. And so, so that lie got broken. That was an important lie because that was a major crack in my foundation. And when I realized how much they loved me, I can't wait, they're in heaven now, I can't wait to see them. They, they did receive Christ very late in their life. And, uh, you know, I, I was amazed how that, that healing came when I realized how much they really loved me and how I'd bought into this lie. And there's so many lies that crack our foundation. You know, there was a man in scripture by the name of Saul of Kish. I don't think he ate a lot of quiche, but he was from that tribe. But anyway, what happened was Saul was a guy, amazing guy. I mean, he was taller, handsomer, stronger than anybody in the nation of Israel. Now, the, the nation of Israel, God really wanted them to receive him as their head and for them to live under a theocracy. Theocracy means the, meaning God, like theology, but theocracy, meaning God be over it. But they cried out, we want a king like all the heathen countries around us. We want a king that was a human being king. And so he said, okay, I'll give you a king. And he chose Saul of Kish. Now, this was a great choice. And then not only did he choose him, but he gave him a new heart. He put a new heart inside of him. And, and he also had him go and prophesy with the, with the prophets. And I mean, there was a tremendous anointing on, on King Saul as he was made king. But there was a problem. There was a crack in his foundation. And that crack was he did not see himself the way God saw him. In fact, when Samuel came to him and said, God has chosen you to be king over the nation of Israel, he goes, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm of the smallest tribe of Benjamin, and I'm really nothing. And, I, you know, and, and no, no. I, I. And he goes, no, you're the one God's chosen. And then when they were going to anoint him king, they couldn't find him. Turned out he was hiding in a basket in the equipment room, in the baggage room. They, and they finally found him. And, you know, Samuel pulls him out of the basket and says, here's your king. <laughs> anyway, I don't know if they were that excited about it. But anyway, uh, the fact was that he had this tremendous sense of not seeing himself the way God did. And so when that happens, oftentimes we compensate. We compensate in the wrong ways. Either we fail to obey God or we'll do things to compensate for that feeling of lack that we have in our life. And so, exactly what he did. Uh, he was king. He was reigning. He did a, a great job at first. Uh, when he was threatened by one of the enemies, he cut up a yoke of oxen and he sent it out. And he said, thus I'll do this to all, all of your animals and to you if you continue to harass us. And they came on board. But as things went on, that crack began to grow. And there came a point where King Saul was asked to go and to wipe out the Amalekites and to kill King Agag. They were idol worshipers. They, it was, there was a perversion that was happening in the land, and he said, I want you to go take care of it. And so he went, but he didn't kill King Agag, and he allowed the people, the Israelites, to take the plunder, which was you know, a lot of idols, a lot of different things that God didn't want them to be involved in, and so 
when Samuel, the prophet Samuel, comes to him and he says, Saul. And here, actually, I'm going to put this up on the screen, but uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 17. This is the prophet Samuel. And so he said to him, he said, Saul, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? You see, he didn't see himself the way God did. And so as a result, he failed to obey. And as a result, he didn't kill Agag. He let the people have the plunder. And he, it got to the point where Samuel says to him, to obey is better than sacrifice. And you have not obeyed. And therefore, the kingship will be torn from you. You will no longer be the king because of that crack in your foundation. And here's the thing that happened. It's a, it's a tragic story. And so, in fact, we go a little further down. And uh, if you have your Bibles, <laughs> I, had, I was ministering at Youth with a Mission down in Colorado Springs uh, at the Frontier Base, and I left my iPad there. And it will be, they're going up to a, a retreat up in the mountains, and so they're going to drop it by about 2 o'clock. But in the meantime, I actually had to use a, a, a real Bible instead of my iPad Bible. And uh, I know it's tough. It's a little hard. But anyway, if you have your Bibles or your iPads or whatever you use, First uh, Samuel, if you turn to First Samuel 15, you'll notice the stories there, and you can read this in more detail, but, but I want to go right to verse 24, and it says this, then Samuel, I'm sorry, then Saul said to Samuel, this is after he says, man, the kingship's coming away, he goes, you know what, he goes, uh, he says, I have sinned, you know, you know for I have transgressed the, the commandment of the Lord. He doesn't, he doesn't repent to the Lord, he just says to Samuel, he's trying to get his his favor, uh, and your words. And here he says, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. In other words, you know, when you have that kind of a crack and you don't see yourself the way God does, you'll be so worried about gaining approval and, and, you know, making other people happy that you'll do things that are not in obedience to God. And that's exactly what happened to Saul. Tragic story. In fact, Saul did not have that relationship that God wanted him to have. And as a result, he ends up at the end of his life uh, when he's really in misery and he's demonically attacked. He ends up going to the witch at Endor uh, to, try to, get, to try to get a word, to try to you know, contact a spirit, to try to... And, and so it's, it's a tragic story because he doesn't turn to God at the end. And so his life, that crack literally caused the destruction in his life. I'll tell you, I believe it breaks the heart of God when these kind of things happen. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's so easy for it to happen. But I want you to know that God is the source and he will. He will fill those cracks. He will bring healing. In fact, in the last service, somebody said during the communion, they saw God pouring this amazing, he saw like people with cracks in their foundation and God just pouring into those cracks and filling them up with him. And so I believe that's going to happen today. I believe uh, we all have cracks in our foundation. The trouble is a lot of times we don't see them because they're underneath the surface. We're not aware of them. And so... Uh, that's the first one I want to talk about. The second one I want to talk about is it's, it's, it's different. It's a whole different way that we can have a crack. Um, many of you may know this, but Lucifer was one of the top three angels in heaven. There was Lucifer, there was Gabriel, and there was Michael. Michael was the warrior angel. Gabriel was kind of the announcing angel. And Lucifer was the one, he was kind of over worship, and he would receive 
uh, all, you know, he would, he would help. He was like the choir director in heaven. And, and uh, basically, though, he, began to, uh, he had began to really enjoy the glory himself. And he began to take it unto himself. And I won't, you know, I'm not going to, for time's sake, I'm not going to have you go there. But you can go to Isaiah 14. And you'll hear where he says, you know, I will ascend into heaven. I will, you know, be like God. I will receive the glory. And because he began to take the glory, there was a major crack in his foundation. It begins with a P. You know what it was? Pride. It was pride. Pride will take people down more quickly than almost any other crack in a foundation. Pride is something we don't see. A person doesn't go, oh, I'm really proud. People don't see pride. It's so subtle. And yet it caused him to fall from, it says, he fell like lightning from heaven. Jesus said in, in Luke, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, he fell out of heaven and he became our adversary. And so I want you to know something. Pride was the source of that sin. And, so, and pride is a tremendous source that causes great, great problems in people's lives. Let me give you an example. When I was pastoring up in the mountains in Grand Lake, I remember there was a pastor in Denver, a guy I really liked. He just had led so many people to Christ, had a large church, a uh, flourishing church. He was a, just a, a great guy. And uh, I remember... Uh, somebody had told me that uh, he was having an affair, you know, and so, and then I checked it out, and uh, nobody knew about this. And so I would just pray for him every morning when I'd get up in my prayer time. I would just cry out to God for this man. And finally, the Lord said, I want you to go down and talk to him. <laughs> and I go, you know what, I'm just this little pastor up in the mountains. He's the big guy down there. I go, no, no, no. And how many know it's better to obey than sacrifice? <laughs> and so finally I said, okay, I'll do it. So I went down, I talked to him, and I, I thought, man, I can't just kind of blurt out, you know. And so I, I, I really talked with him and gave him every opportunity. I did everything but actually say it right out, but I, you know, and, and talked about it. I said, you know, just be honest with me. Is there anything going on in your life that could actually bring destruction to your family and to, to the ministry? He goes, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. Well, anyway, he wasn't fine and had a very kind of tragic ending. But, but I often just grieved over this. And I, I, I heard somebody say this, and I, I don't know if I'll get the wording right on this, but they said, success breeds much greater temptation than struggles. When we have a struggle, guess what? Who are we dependent on? I mean, when I'm going through struggles, I'm going, God, I can't handle this. I need your help. And, and I, I'm, I'm dependent on him. Now, let me tell you the difference between pride and humility. Pride is being filled with yourself. Pride, pride is being just so, you know, thinking how great you are. It's almost the opposite of, uh, you know, of what Saul was going through, where he had this low self-esteem and felt like he didn't see himself as God. But pride is like, I don't need God because look how great I am. Now, you don't, people don't say that. But that's the way they think. And so God gets pushed out. The scripture says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble is when you're totally dependent on God. So when you're going through a struggle, you tend to be more dependent on him. When you are really everything going great and you're having great success, there is a possibility or a tendency to begin to pull away and think you don't really need God because look at all the success you're having. So it actually... Uh, success can great, cause greater temptation than struggles. And I have known of and seen great leaders 
fall because of that crack of pride in their foundation. And they thought everything was fine. And almost it bred this entitlement. You know, because I'm so successful, well, then I'm entitled to these things, which the enemy uses to destroy. And so I just want to say, you know, whatever it is, whether it's not seeing yourself the way God sees you, which causes you to try to compensate, or whether it's pride, which, again, we're usually blind to it. The Holy Spirit has to be the one that reveals that. You know, there's a story uh, that is told that Jesus tells, and he told this to a group of people, and some of them were Pharisees. And I, I guarantee you the Pharisees did not like this parable he told. He told the story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the two went up for prayer, and, well, the, you know, the, the Pharisee prays, I thank God I'm not like other people. For example, like that poor tax collector over there. I'm not like them. I give, I do this, I tithe even down to my, my herbs, I do all these things, and aren't I wonderful, and aren't I great? And hear my prayer, God, I know you will because I'm so great. On the other side, this tax collector, man, he is just distraught. He starts beating his breast. Just, he's so distraught, and he cries out, and he goes, God, forgive me, for I am a sinner. Have mercy on me. And Jesus tells that story, and he says, you know what? The Pharisee's prayer, that won't make it to heaven. That won't even be heard. The tax collector's prayer will be heard. Why? Pride, humility. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And so it's so important that we're able to, by the Holy Spirit, see those areas in our life that rise up so that we can deal with them and that we'll be honest with them. And so I want to give you four areas that I want to talk about that are, I think, incredibly important. And uh, if I can find my notes, it's usually easy with the iPad. Oh, there it is. Okay, here are my notes. Uh, <laughs> Uh, not that I go by them. But anyway, here they are. Uh, first of all, I think it's very important that you know that God has a plan for your life. Say this. Say, God has a plan, a great plan for my life. Now, I guarantee you he does. Lots of times we don't believe it. And he doesn't just, when I got saved at 28, he didn't just drop the plan into my life and say, here's the plan for the rest of your life. He doesn't do it that way. If he did, I would have gone, ah. Anyway, he didn't do that. He leads us step by step. He leads us one step at a time, and then he takes the next step. And you say, well, what if I get off track? Well, then he understands that. He helps us to get back on track when we're, when we're walking with him. And so it's so, so, so essential that you know God has a plan for your life. Now, I want to give you a scripture. Turn in your Bibles, because I want you to see this. Maybe you've seen it before, but it doesn't hurt to look at it again. It's Psalm 139. Psalms are right in the middle of your Bible. And so uh, if you open your Bible to the middle, uh, or if you have your iPad, just hit... Well, anyway, you know how to do it. Psalm 139, verses 15 and 16. Here's what it says. It says... You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Did you hear that? Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. In other words, 
God knew you when you were conceived, when you were formed in the womb. He knew you then and had a plan for your life then, even before you were born. He had a specific plan for your life. You know, it's interesting. In 1973, there was a, 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 a major decision, the Roe versus Wade decision. And in that Roe versus Wade decision, the decision was made to legalize abortion. At that time, there was an argument. The Christian said, hey, life begins at conception and in the womb. The abortionists, the people who were favoring abortion said, no, it doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't happen until, a, person, until a, a, a child is born into this world. Now, at that time, there wasn't medical evidence. There wasn't scientific medical evidence to support what the Bible said all along. How many know the Bible is right? And in this case now, medical evidence, medical scientific evidence shows that, yes, life does begin at conception. And not only that, uh, those of you that have, you know, had pregnancies, ladies, you've seen, they do an ultrasound and you can see the baby moving around and the baby has emotions and everything. And so uh, it's so sad that, that, that 50 million babies have been taken by abortion in, in, in our land. And, you know, it, it, it's had a tremendous impact. Now, here's the thing. If you've had an abortion, there is no condemnation for you. God, you know, God understands it. He loves you. He's for you. He doesn't hold that against you. You know what? And because usually people were in ignorance that did that. And so it, it's... I got to tell you, this is important. I want to tell you a story because this happened. Our home group, our home group met on, was it Monday night? Yeah, Monday night. We usually meet Thursday night, but, we, but uh, for some reason we met Monday night. And uh, anyway, one of the couples in our home group told this story of how they had gone to Kenya and they had gotten this horrible virus uh, from a mosquito, I assume, and, and they'd gotten this virus. And so anyway, uh, she received the shots or the medicine and everything, and, uh, but found out just a few weeks later that she was pregnant when she got that. And when the doctor heard that, the doctor freaked out and said, by the way, the one thing, the pregnant women cannot take this medicine or this shot because it causes deform, de- deforming of the baby. In 90% of the cases, we must abort. We must abort that baby. And they went back and they prayed and they prayed and they came back to the doctor and they said, doctor, we believe that God is the one that gives life. We believe that God gave life and we, that he will protect our baby. And we, we choose to keep this child no matter what the consequences. You know why they could say that? Because their foundation was strong. Their foundation in the word was strong. The amazing thing was that child now is, I believe, 20 years old. I, I think he's here today. I don't want <laughs> to point him out, but he's here today. He's a tremendous man of God, very, very sensitive to the things of God. He's at a Christian college, and, and, uh, and they are so thankful that they followed the Lord and did what he said and preserved that life. Isn't that awesome? So what I want to say is that you got to know God has a plan for your life. Now, we don't know what that plan is oftentimes, but we follow it, and God directs us, and he, he leads us, and he guides us. And, and, you know, it's so important to know that. I'm going to show you a video right before the... Actually, 
I think the video might fit better now. What do you think, honey? You saw it. You were here in the first service. Would it be better now or better at the end? Huh? Go ahead. She says go ahead. Okay. We'll, we'll do it a little differently. You know, we'll, we'll okay. I, I want to show you a video of a person. Has anybody heard of Michael Phelps? <laughs> well, unless, you don't, unless you've never seen any of the Olympics, you've probably never heard of them. But anyway, uh, Michael Phelps is the most decorated Olympic athlete ever in the history of any, and he so much, has so many more medals. Uh, actually, we got to watch last night, we got to watch the, uh, the, the relay, and it was really powerful. Uh, it was the medley relay where they have, you know, the backstroke, the breaststroke, the, you know, the crawl, you know, everything. And uh, anyway, it was a powerful thing where the United States won. I think they set a world record. And uh, Michael Phelps was part of that. And he had, that was his 28th medal that he's won in the Olympics. 23 of those are gold. Can you believe that? 23 gold, 28 medals all overall. But do you know, many of you don't know this, but in 2014... Michael Phelps came this close to committing suicide. His life was totally in the tubes. He was an alcoholic. He'd gotten two DUIs. He was also strung out on drugs. But more than anything, he'd lost his will to live. He didn't want to live. He felt like there was no purpose in his life. He had retired from swimming. He had no purpose. He felt like God was done. He was done. And then a man named Ray Lewis, who played for the Baltimore Ravens, and uh, is a strong Christian. Because Michael Phelps lived in Baltimore, they got to be friends. And Ray Lewis came to him and said, you're going to rehab, buddy. He said, your life is really in trouble right now. You're going to rehab. He, got, he took him to rehab, and he handed him a book. He gave him the book, The Purpose Driven Life. Remember I said how you have to know God has a purpose for your life? That purpose-driven life and Michael Phelps coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ changed his life. And so the medals that he won at this Olympics were somehow sweeter than all the other medals. Why? Because of what he'd gone through. I want you to see this video of him telling his story. The purpose-driven life. It's turned me into believing that there is a power greater than myself and there is a purpose for me on this planet. Second, third day he got in and he called me. He was like, I, man, this book is crazy. He was like, the things that's going on, oh my gosh, my brain is, bro, I'm, 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 I cannot thank you freaking enough, man. Like you saved my life. And so that was the moment when I started to hear he coming out of it. He, he, will, he will make it. And then he started calling me with things he was reading from the book, and I was like, it's sinking in. For a long time, I thought I was to bring the family back together, baby. My therapist said, well, you failed. How does that feel? And then I read this, and I was like, you know what? <laughs> I think it helped me when I was in a place where I needed the most help. The lessons learned in those pages and in therapy, convinced Phelps to try to rebuild his relationship with his father, Fred. They were going to have a family week, and I was invited to come spend the time with him, which I immediately jumped on. RSVP'd, I'll be there. Why? He's my son. I love him. 
I was shocked. I wasn't even going to invite him to Family Week. I just didn't think he would come. And I, I guess it was to the point where I was just like, why do I just want another no in my life? I was apprehensive, not the word. Maybe scared. Not at what I would find, but how I would be received, which actually, I, it was fear that was unfounded. Because we saw each other, we shook hands, threw our arms around each other, gave a big hug. I don't know exactly how it happened, but somehow he and his father got totally alienated at a very early age. And God not only reconciled him to the Heavenly Father, but he reconciled him to his father as well. Incredible thing happened. You know, I just want you to know Michael Phelps had some incredible cracks in his foundation. Couldn't see him because of all the medals and all the success. He almost took his life. But the reality is, that everything shifted when he came into that relationship with Jesus and realized that God had a purpose for his life. God had a plan for his life. And I want you to know God has a plan for every one of our lives. Secondly, second thing is we need to build a strong relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know that Jesus is the very, he's the very center of our foundation? In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, it actually says these words. It says, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is who? Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. That's the only foundation you can have, why? Because he changes everything. When he comes into our life, he changes everything. He's the cornerstone. There's a song we sing, Cornerstone. You know, and he's the cornerstone. The cornerstone was that stone that set everything. It set the foundation, it set the level of it, it set everything else really came from the cornerstone. Our lives are based on Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. When he's not the cornerstone, I guarantee you, your foundation is gonna be out of whack. And so it's so important to allow him to be the cornerstone. How do you do that? By receiving him personally as your Lord and Savior. That's where it all begins. And then building that relationship with him. The third thing I wanna talk about is our foundation must rest on true two. <laughs> Let me try that again. Our foundation must rest on two important things. Number one, truth. Say truth. Number two, love. Now I gotta tell you, it's so important. Truth comes from the word. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the word for your word is truth. John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you're truly my disciples. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we get the word, we get truth from the word. Now, truth is essential in a person's life. However, if you just get truth, and that's all you've got, and you've got no love, I want you to know that it destroys people. Truth hammers people. It beats them down. Truth can turn into legalism. It can turn into a level that we can't live up to when there's no love. So truth can damage people if there's no love. On the other side, love without truth is sloppy agape. Basically, love without truth is like a sailboat whose 
got a full sail of wind headed across a lake, but has no rudder. And so the, it's directionless. Truth and love need to be together. I have a friend who is a nationally known speaker. And he said, I grew up in such a legalistic church where truth was hammered upon me as a child, as I grew up, that I wanted nothing to do with that kind of a church. And so he said, I began to see that God was not this vengeful God, but that he was a loving God. And he said, and we've had some amazing conversations And he said, I've come to believe that no one will go to hell. I believe that everybody will go to heaven. I believe that God is such a loving God that he'll not let anyone go to to hell and that ultimately everybody will be saved. I said, that's a pretty radical stance. He said, I know it. He said, I may be wrong. But he said, I got so damaged by being hammered by truth and legalism, that that's where I've ended up. And I said, well, I love you, you're wrong, but let me explain. (laughs) I said, Jesus talked about hell. He wasn't making it up. He wasn't lying about it. Hell was not created for human beings. It was created for the fallen angels. However, Jesus said there will be those who will end up eternally separated from me in hell. And here's the deal. I said, God is an incredibly loving God. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. That's why he had his son come and give his life on a cross to die for everyone, take the sins of the world upon himself. Literally. That's love. But he also gave free will. And so a person has a choice. Now, do you know there's only one sin that'll keep you out of heaven? The scripture says it's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But in the context of that passage, it's when they attributed the works of Jesus to Satan. They rejected Jesus Christ. The only sin that can send a person to to hell is rejecting the source of forgiveness, rejecting Jesus Christ. There's no other sin on the face of the earth that his blood will not cover. Amen? That's love. And so... You can fall in the ditch on either side. You can be so truth-oriented that you hammer, hammer, hammer people with truth. Or you can be so love-oriented that you miss the importance of truth. You know, I was laying in bed in the middle of the night, and the Lord, told, he just reenacted the story of the woman called in adultery. He said, let me show you this. He said, Jesus spends all this time letting this woman know how much he loved her. Here's a woman caught in adultery, brought. The law says she should be stoned to death. She thinks she's going to be stoned to death. They bring her to Jesus. And he, remember, he writes some stuff in the sand. And and then he says, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. Everybody backs up, drops their stones. Then he looks at her. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she looks. and There are none. And then he says this, neither do I condemn you. He spends a whole lot of time letting her know how much he loves her. And then he says five words of truth. Go and sin no more. And it changes her life. Impacts her incredibly. But notice, it was love, then truth. 
What if he had just said, no one condemns you. I love you. Whatever. <laughs> that's not love, is it? I mean, that's love, but there's no truth in it. See, love and truth have to come together. That's what changes people's lives. So we need that foundation of love and truth, not just one. We need them both. Amen? Jesus walked in both. Okay, last one. When discovering cracks in your foundation, what should you do? <laughs> Fix them. Fix the cracks. Fix the cracks. Deal with the cracks. Now, first of all, oftentimes we need the Holy Spirit to help us to see the cracks, but then we got to deal with them. We can't be in denial. We can't pretend that, oh, well, you know, everybody has cracks in their foundation, you know. what? The, we, no, we need to deal with those cracks because they can cause damage. Amen? So we got to deal with them. That's what we're going to do during communion. We're going to let the Holy Spirit come. And I believe, just like that person saw this vision of God filling the cracks, he's going to strengthen our foundations. Let me give you the scripture for this. It's 1 John Verses, 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9. If we say we aren't sinful, we don't have any cracks, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. God is faithful and reliable. If we confess our sins, he forgives them and cleanses us from everything we've done wrong. So first of all, cracks can come from, from just Stuff in our life that doesn't need to be there, that's destructive, and, and we just let it stay. We can get rid of that by just saying, you know, forgive me, and we can get rid of that, and he'll fill it up with his grace and his love. Or it could be just the way you see yourself. You see yourself not as the way God sees you. Or maybe there's pride. It's going to take the Holy Spirit for you to see it, because you're not going to go, wow, I'm really proud. No, no. You're, God's going to have to show you how you're being dependent on yourself and you're not really dependent on him. And so it's so essential. So essential. On Thursday morning, right before I was headed down to YWAM uh, the, to, to minister to leaders there for two days, uh, I had something happen where someone did something and it just ticked me off beyond my expressing. I was so ticked and upset. I was angry, I was frustrated, I was trying to prepare what I was gonna be sharing with the leaders, and I just, I was like paralyzed by this stuff, this thing that had happened. And I realized time was getting short before I had to go, and I realized I had to forget about my preparation, that I needed to get my heart right. Because I knew if I went down to Colorado Springs, and I'm trying to train, train leaders down there, and I got all this anger and, and bitterness and resentment in my heart, I knew that I was going to do a lousy job. And everybody said, amen. amen. And so I got before the Lord. I'd like to say it took three seconds or three minutes, but it didn't. It took me about 10 to 15 minutes for me to really be able to deal with it because I was so upset. I just brought it to the Lord. I said, Father, it's not right. It's, you know, and I'm crying out and I'm crying out. And I finally got some relief. God, I said, I need your help on this because in my own power, man, I just want to beat the, you know, anyway, I want to say what I felt. But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I got to tell you, in those times, God will help you, but you got to come to him. 
And he did. Thank God. And things went great down in the Springs. But, but, but boy, it'll throw you. Maybe something happened to you. Maybe this week or maybe in your life or whatever where you are still got some bitterness and stuff. That is a crack. And you got to get rid of that. you got to get rid of that stuff because it'll destroy the edifice that's above your foundation. So I want you to pray. We're going to pray right now. And I really believe God's going to do a work. We're going to receive communion at this time. And as you receive communion, I don't want you to receive it in a religious way. First of all, before I do that, I want you to bow your heads. If you're here today and you say, Lord Jesus, man, I really need you in my life. Maybe you've never really surrendered. It's not enough to know he died for you and for all your mistakes and your sins and your cracks and all that stuff. you got to invite him into your life. That's so important. Maybe you said, I did that at one time, but I've strayed away. But you know what? His love is so great. He's just waiting for you to let him back in. So if that's either one of you in those areas, it'd be silly to take communion and, and for you not to have Jesus in your life. So if you'll just keep your heads bowed. We had a few in the last service. I want you to just raise your hand if you say, man, I really need Jesus in my life or I'm coming back to him because I've strayed away. Just raise it high. I can pray for you right where you're sitting. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless both of you. God bless you. Other hands just kind of wave at me. God bless you over here. I see your hand. God bless you back there. And God bless both of you in the very back on that side. God bless you. And I see that hand too. You you can put your hands down. I want everybody to pray this simple prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me of all my mistakes, all my sins. Thank you that you died for those. Now please forgive me. Come into my life. Make me the person you want me to be. I'm yours, Jesus. You're my Lord and Savior. I'm coming back to you. Let's give Jesus a great hand. Hallelujah. God bless you. I want to say something that's really important. If you raise your hand, Jeff will be right down here. He's one of our elders. He's down here to pray with you. He can get your Bible. He can help you. He'll help you in any way he can. But he'll be right down here. So as soon as the service ends, as soon as we finish communion. So at this time, we're going to receive communion.